show my name is joshua michael welcome to minefields this is my best friend colin in the whole world how you doing brother in the whole world i in am the, colin in, in the, the universe in the universe in in all parallel dimensions you are my best friend <laughs> dude uh, oh fascinating you say that fascinating uh i was just shuffling game cards uh my star trek cards and i was suddenly reminded of a book uh a star trek novel where Q is really annoying the crap out of Picard, and it's different. He's he's pulled um, Jack Crusher from the past, and they're running around trying to deal with Q, and Jack Crusher comes to find out from Q that in every time he dies accidentally by what Picard assumes is his actions. There's no universe where he survives, dude. That I dig screwed up. I dig that, man. That's uh, I mean that that makes so much sense because it's like one of those writers type tools where like I don't want like because because when they showed uh, Wesley's dad for that one time as a yeah. as, as in the in the holodeck mm-hmm. uh, that that message he had um, to write that in so they never can ever fuck with the timeline and keep it the way they are like no not let anyone do this yeah it's it's unfortunate because you get those characters that have to be there for it to be the way it is and you know like you get into marvel or you get into harry potter and it's like oh yeah we can use the time turner to do anything go back in time and blah 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 it's only so many twists but we can't save harry's parents or you know we can't bring uncle ben back well, we clearly can't kill Aunt May. Maybe that's her superpower. She can't be killed. But um, no matter how old she gets, what if she's just this decrepit skeleton one day? Uh, but, like, you know, I mean, you get these characters in so many awesome narrative fictions who just are, their entire purpose is to be dead. And they, they didn't even have a good run like Gwen Stacy. That really means something. It's just kind of a, a, an astonishing thing. So like Wesley and Beverly's whole thing. It, but that's the thing. It's, their whole thing is that they are their own people. Despite the fact that that happened. And I'm going to say that because you'll find out in the first episode of Deep Space Nine. Jennifer Sisko. Ben Sisko's wife. Is dead. And. But. He does get to talk to her, and that's kind of awesome. So, uh, that's a messed up thing. But, like, you know, I don't know. It's just crazy thinking about those dead characters. Minefielders, if you get an opportunity, maybe hit us up. Send us a message with your favorite <coughs> dead character from, a, from any fiction. 
and just uh, I don't know. Let's have a talk about that sometime soon. Maybe we could take a poll. I just sent you a, a photo on, on your phone. You got to check this out. I'm <laughs> checking it out. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's not a phase, Captain Goth Data. He looks he looks so hot as a goth. He actually guy. looks ridiculously attractive with that lipstick. Yes, he does. Yeah, <laughs> I'll post it on the on the Instagram. But I wanted to start this off because earlier I was having a really uh, good um, my good friend Melissa, a friend of Minefields, by the way. Um, we cool. us- we usually go hit up this place uh, in here in Colorado Springs, which is a, a Indian food buffet, and uh, oh, nice. just like we it's like a pour your guts out session. Like we we sit there, we talk for like two hours, and just keep eating and just enjoy each other's company as, as good friends, and then. Um, we were outside smoking a cigarette, and she mentioned that her kid doesn't know how to um, change a tire, and she's got to let him know, teach him how to do it. And I was like, "Man, it's funny you said that because I realized the other day I don't have any tools." And oh I, yeah, right. I, I felt like such a pussy, uh, like when I realized I don't have tools because I always just like go to my dad's and borrow my dad's, <clears throat> which he's because he's got like a ridiculous amount since um, collecting them over the years. And I'm like, no, I got so I bought this. I splurged on a. Dickie's, uh, Dickie's brand, uh, like a, it's not like, it's like a tool bag and it's got uh-huh. a strap. It's got all these crazy things on it. And, uh, you wanted to tell me what tools. Yeah. Are yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah. And, and, and um, this is just an essential thing for us, for the minefielders out there. If you don't have any tools, you need tools. Uh, Colin, tell us what we need. Well, that's the thing. Like me in my life, I do a lot with tools because it's part of my career. So there's definitely a lot of stuff I've got that I don't need to drop on everybody because it's not something you're going to use every day or even once a month. I mean, honestly, I can go quite a long time without even picking up a hammer, um, but rarely is there something that doesn't need to be literally screwed or unscrewed. Uh, If you're hanging stuff around the house, you obviously want a hammer. There's all kinds of crap you can borrow. But like everybody's toolkit should at least have some screwdrivers and stuff like that. My recommendation is to spend the money, go to Lowe's or Home Depot. I don't remember which one carries them, and they probably both do. And get yourself a Klein name brand 11-in-1 screwdriver. Or you can get a Milwaukee one. Those are really good, too. There are a lot of different name brands. You can go to you can go to Walmart and find Stanley stuff. You can go to uh, a lot of places to find Black & Decker stuff, though I don't know whether or not they make solid-state tools like that. But get yourself an 11-in-1. What that means is that it's, it's that, one of those types that it's has... It's got the hole at the end, and you just put the, the different ends in that are magnetic. Yeah, it's got a standard-sized hex with a uh, probably a magnetized aspect to it. And then you've got the pieces that like you can pull them out, flip them over, and it's like, okay, that's a number two-sized Phillips head. Like That's a standard drywall screw size. But then you can flip it over, and then it's a flathead. And then you can turn the entire piece that that's in, and then you've got a number one, which is a smaller smaller screw. So, like, when I'm talking about this, and you, maybe you guys don't know anything. I mean, you've got, like, your plus and minus, right? Well, that's Phillips, and that's Flathead. Right. And uh, there's a really great YouTube video about why these types exist, even. Uh, then, like, uh, that I would totally recommend it. I think it's called The Armchair Historian. Um, and... Uh, so you just flip this thing, flip pieces around, and then you've got the handle, and half of it's stored in the handle. Or if you can find one, get yourself one of these stubby ones that ratchets. Because you guys know, like, when you have, like, a socket set, and you hear it, and you're like, you turn it, and then it goes, 
and it like clicks back and it's that satisfying clicking sound and it really feels solid. That's a socket set. I'm, I'm going to say it's worth having at least a metric or an SAE socket set uh, going from, you know, um, they're on numbers. They're in number systems, uh, you know, like a 1 to an 11 or whatever like that if you're doing one of them and then the other one. But you, so you, you just want to have a socket set if you're doing stuff with cars because there are so many bolts and there are, ver there are a variety of sizes. It's probably worth it to get an extension because stuff is going to be out of reach. But then my favorite thing is that I'm, like, I don't go anywhere on any job, even if I'm not doing art department, without a screw gun. So I got myself a DeWalt 20-volt uh, impact driver with, a, with a, a drill gun. It's a double set, so it's got two batteries and a charger. I got that years ago, and I am still beating it up to this day. I've never had to replace those batteries. They charge in as much time as is necessary, but it's always less than like a half an hour, and they last for weeks without having been charged, unless you're using the bejesus out of them. What, what, uh, other, what other tools, like, uh, obviously need some Allen wrenches. Uh, you should probably get, like, yeah, you can set. get an Allen key set. That's a good idea, especially if it's all of them on the same thing and they flip out. Yeah. The problem is, unless you pay pretty well for one, then they run a risk of, like, a pin popping out and then all those keys falling everywhere. But, I mean, everybody's got, like, half a dozen standard size Allen wrenches that came with Ikea furniture or whatever sitting around. So if you have something that you really need to work differently with, uh, it's, it's worth having the different sizes, especially if you start getting the security torques and different like star torques and whatever. Um, sometimes torque is a name brand, you know, you're going to get out there in the world and you're going to see like, maybe look at your deck and see if you have deck screws that are square headed or maybe they are hex headed or something like that and then i mean once you start collecting tools and you can keep them all in one place that's awesome stuff starts getting ridiculous when you've got sh things together like me where it's like okay here's what i call my crank bag if it's something that turns or screws in then here's something that works for that like i have wrenches and then i've got like ratchets a ratchet set and all that stuff in there and all the different types of screwdrivers but then i've got like just a just like a, a regular go bag that's full of all of that other stuff. A hammer, a rasp, a torpedo level, a tape measure. For my money, what I was told by a guy named Gary the Bastard, that was his code name on, uh, <laughs> when I was working on Alita Battle Angel. He was a dude that came in from Louisiana. He said the industry standard is a 35-foot Stanley Fat Max tape measure. I was like, okay, if you say so. So I went out and got one, and he quit giving me a hard time. Um, you don't have to have that. Depends on what kind of work you're doing, but everybody should have a good tape measure. You get a good Stanley one, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to last a long time. But I, I would also recommend a Milwaukee. Those are great. And um, uh, there's a good Carpenter's one that has like the whole base of its three inches in case you're trying to measure out on studs for walls or like doing any kind of building with two by four. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Um, Anything else but to yeah, wind you up gotta have a tape measure. Sorry, what? What else to wind out the wind out the bag? Okay, how many a holes do you see parked around who have a sticker on their window because or on their freaking driver's side uh, rearview mirror because the cops were like, "You parked this car here for too long," and you're like, "Why does it take so much to get that damn sticker off?" Guys, get a razor scraper. Seriously, you can get them at 
Walmart. You can get them at Home Depot and, and Lowe's. I'm not advertising for these guys. This is just where you can get them. Go to AutoZone. Go to, go, to a, go to an auto place and get the kind that has the replaceable razor blades. Because just having a scraper... I, I hate going into people's houses like that have older homes that some joker who lived there before them painted the trim on the uh on their on their french doors or something and there's just like brush strokes of paint everywhere it's a hack job it's in its um uh it's just tragically ridiculous that nobody's ever taken care of it you can scrape that stuff out then spray cleaner and wipe it down and you you just you look like a real person which, you know, hey, maybe I'm dissing people unnecessarily. I just think that it's BS <laughs> that there should be stickers that you can't remove. And I think that it's silly to not, like, go, you know, go the extra mile and finish the job because that's part of painting. So, I mean, those are real basic things you want to have around. Uh, and there's a lot more I could go into. I love a good air compressor. I love having battery-powered and plug-in saws. Like just skill saws. I got a chop saw. I love it. Um, as for my compressor, for the ease of use, I just got one of those. Uh, um, it's not a Bosch. It's a Porter cable. And when all of the different compressor guns, the stapler, the wide crown stapler, you can get that in a three pack. Totally worth it. And then I'm gonna say, uh, go ahead and get a narrow crown stapler because if you're doing anything that you're shooting Luon in, yeah, you're, you're or Masonite or something. You go in a low pressure. You're gonna want that narrow crown. It's a lot. It's a lot better because uh, it bites, literally. Like it, that's. And I'm not saying it sucks. Um, yeah, man, I can go on and on. Clearly, I mean, <laughs> I could do a tool time all the time. But uh, yeah, for what you're doing with cars, I would totally recommend just getting a very basic wrench set and a socket set. And um, you're gonna want like I, I get that 11 and one is a good way to go. And uh, then you're just going to want to think about how to clean stuff. Like if you've got terminals on your batteries, you just want to make sure you have like a wire brush. Uh, I'm not telling anybody to go pour Coke over those things, but it's funny how that works. Or what is it like um, diet soda or cream soda yeah. and stuff like that? Not cream soda. I'm sorry. Like just soda water. Yeah. So we'll like eat that grime off and then you can hit it with a wire brush or a nitrite brush. It just depends on the bristles. Obviously, I can go on and on and on. Now I uh, bought a John Wick action figure. I just sent you a. Oh no, kidding! A, a yeah, link check it out. It. Uh, this one usually costs about eighty bucks, but I found a steal on it. It's uh, I got I got it for twenty three dollars. Now the other thing is is that after I paid for it, I realized it's 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 shipping from China. <laughs> oh my god! You're the second person today that said that they they got something that's shipping from China. Good luck. You'll see it in two months. But the yeah. detail on this is extraordinary. That is a incredible likeness of Keanu incredible and also uh, I'm just going to spray it with some Lysol beforehand I assume American Lysol <laughs> is superior to Chinese uh, Lysol uh, I'm sure they've got some bootleg version of it, Lysmol or something like that I don't know <laughs> but so I, this I, is a Mafex John Wick Chapter 2 PVC action figure, look at look at, well yeah the dog is cool it comes with, comes with what both of the dogs? It's no, it's it's just it's just a, a, a two pictures of the dog. Oh, it is two pictures it's of the dog. It's two pictures of the dog. It comes with so many guns, and I actually prefer the sculpt on this to the hot toy that came out from a couple years ago. 
It's Those, just yeah. it's just not cloth, but this one has way more playability with it. Like this guy's gonna make my desk at work constantly. I've got all the uh, tortured souls action figures on, on at my desk, so uh, I'm gonna have uh, John Wick just you know murdering them because <laughs> it's he John looks Wick. Like it comes with a nice AR-15 uh, yep. with an extended uh, upper. It's got a scope, a really handsome PMAG looking magazine in there. And then he's got like a Glock, I'm going to say 17, it could be a 23, um, but like I really love the tie. His tie is attached to the top of his body and he bends at the sternum. Yep. So I'm going to say that tie has some rubberized pliability or maybe it's vinyl. Dude, I'm just, I, I just love it and I, I can't that's, wait to get it. That's a fucking hot toy right there. One of the things that, one of my favorite memories of many of, our, of, of us was that first time you and I watched John Wick together. We, we, mm-hmm. like, like, like uh, the, the preface to, to us doing simulcasts is how many movies we've watched together uh, just uh, from like 600 miles away watching John Wick 1 and then you found the the John Wick gun in uh, Wikipedia and we were we slaved over oh, that for like yeah. an hour like I'll it, tell you what that was it's the <clears throat> internet firearms database just like the IMDB just like any number of other things it's like it's a website or it's a, yeah it's an it's a internet movie database type website built around here are the guns that we've seen in movies. So, like, The Matrix is a big one, Star Wars, etc., etc. I mean, yeah, they're going to be like, here's what we saw here and there and whatever. Or Heat. I remember spending a lot of time oh, yeah, looking because, up all the weapons that were in the movie Heat. Yeah, because next thing we knew, we went over to Heat, and then we went over to The Matrix, and, uh-huh. then, and then I think we fell asleep. <laughs> I was so excited because, like... I don't want to tell anybody what I've got, but like I was so excited to see that one of the weapons I had was in the Matrix. Not saying it's one from the Matrix or anything like that, but uh, I was like, "That's that's pretty pretty ridiculous." Which meant because it was almost certainly in the you know we need lots of guns uh, sequence. Then that was all probably rental from a prop house. Like yeah. they didn't go buy a bunch of guns. A lot of those are probably rubber. The ones that were in the foreground or like in the in the shot right around Keanu and um, oh, what is her name? It was Trinity, but I've uh, forgotten Ke- her name suddenly. Carrie Ann Moss. Carrie Ann Moss. The stuff that was right around her was all probably uh, maybe they were inert, but they were like legit at some point or another. Right. But, um, they could have been resin cast. I don't know. It's fun to think about that stuff for me. But uh, dude, yeah. Oh, heat. I remember wanting a. Uh, a, a 1911 with a pearl pearl grips for like uh god i can't remember now dude i i i don't watch well like either you know vincent or uh neil had that i'm pretty sure it was vincent and that that had been al pacino's character i dude i don't watch heat all the time on purpose because i never want it to lose its uh luster panache you know yep and like that's the same way I am with Fight Club. I haven't watched Fight Club in years, years and years on purpose. And I mean, I might not have watched it since 2009, I think. But like, I remember it so clearly. And then Heat, it's special to me because Heat was, of course, a re. It was a refilming, more or less, of a TV show pilot called LA Takedown. And uh, I can't think of the legit dude who was in it that we've seen in a ton of stuff. 
But um, one of the actors died. Short, one of the, like the, I think the guy that played uh, Vince Hanna, Al Pacino's character, died shortly after after they the, filmed the pilot, and it ends quite differently. It kind of has the like if you guys have watched Justified, the first episode of Justified. Oh, God damn, I love Tim, Timothy Olyphant, man. Like anything dude, with that guy. You know how he how he shoots Walton Goggins and Boyd, his character Boyd Crowder. Like the, the suspicion is that he's going to go away dead. But they loved that character so much, they were like, no, there's no way we're going to let him die. We got to bring him back, and that's why Walton Goggins crushed that show so much. Like. My God, what a great move to keep him alive. Well, I'm going to say in L.A. Takedown, they, he does. Like, Vincent does take down Neil. Doesn't happen the same way as in Heat. But um, it's too bad because he would have been an awesome nemesis for the whole series if it had gone to series. I still, to this day, would kill to have a Heat TV series. Well, it's anyway. Michael Mann, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Dude, it's Michael Mann. I mean, God. We could, oh, dude. We, man, we could go for hours on Michael Mann. It's an exciting conversation. <clears throat> I, I, don't, I can't think of anything Michael Mann I've ever watched that I didn't love. And I have the Tashin Michael Mann coffee table book in here. Uh, it's a beautiful cover. It's that blue and black from when, uh, when Robert De Niro was walking around in his Malibu home. You know, it's the first time you've seen him go home in the movie. And he's there by himself, and he sets the gun on the counter behind him, uh, and just goes and looks out at the out at the ocean. Let's uh, let's 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 talk some comics, man. I got dude. The we got to move off of that, or I'm gonna. I got the list. We actually have don't a have heatgasm. We actually <laughs> heatgasm. We've got a. We don't have that huge of a list like usual. Uh, no, I, we don't. It's a much more no, palatable. We we meal. We trim the fat. Um, not that the, the not that there's anything wrong with the fact he's definitely gonna chew on that shit for a while. But uh, Dark Agnes number one, Darth Vader number one, Daredevil number seventeen, Daphne Byrne number two, Captain America: The End of the One Shot number one, One Shot, Usagi yeah. Ujima number one, Yondu number five, and Doctor Doom number five. Tell me all about Doctor Doom because I can't. I forgot to read. It. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that one very careful. I don't want to tell you everything. About no, it. no, you gotta tell me everything because the, the. Oh man! <clears throat> all right. It's uh, Christopher Cantwell, writer, uh, Salvador LaRocca, great job. Uh, color artist, Guru EFX, letterer, VCs, Corey Pettit. Uh, cover, Tom Coker and Michael Garland. There was a variant cover also, Balan Ortega. Wait, Belen? Belen? Ortega? Uh, and Paul uh, Mounts. Belen. Yeah, it could uh, some, I'm sorry, guys. I don't know. I I got the the cover I picked up was the one where uh, Doctor Doom is casting like a runic spell, and it's very you know Doctor Strange movie stylized. I I really dig that. That's the direction. If if uh, if mo- if comics imitate movies, that was one thing that I thought was legit because when they do that, it makes. When they do that in Doctor Doom, what Doctor Strange does in his book for casting spells or what anybody else might be doing, I never see the Scarlet Witch doing it. It just sells that controlled, tight universe. Uh, The book starts with a bunch of crap going on on the moon that I just – like one page. Like they're running away. One panel. I I just still don't care about this moon thing. It's not enough of a threat. We don't see – like a couple issues, several issues ago, first issue, 
Doctor Doom was blamed for this event taking place on the moon that's created a black hole. I just don't feel the danger. We are constantly wandering around with Doom in civilian costume in New York or wherever, doing what he's doing, trying to figure out what this mystery is. But he's trying to solve the mystery of who's this wife he doesn't know and, like, what's that all about? And I'm like, yeah, but this thing that's happening on the moon, I'm way more compelled by that story and way more compelled by what's what's Doom going to do and what kind of person is he going to be because we're so used to, by this point, over the last several years, in his personal storyline, seeing him doing the right thing for some reason. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And even in this instance, at least we understand the motivation, but we don't really know what the heck's going on. And the moon thing is just its just this lingering thing. There's a black hole in the moon. Well, it should have eaten the moon by now. But you can't just do that. And it should be threatening Earth. And then he should be able to do something with that. Of course, Kang, the time conqueror, keeps popping in and out. I love that he keeps doing that. I know. I know. That's one of the best parts about it. Because you you don't know what he... Because when was... This is the first time I've ever seen Kang just show up and be like, sup? And then, exactly. Like, I mean, we'll just he doesn't show up being pompous, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and even then, like typically when Kang shows up, like shit's already gone down. The funny thing is, the first issue with Kang in it ever in Avengers, what number two? I think it's Avengers number two. He eventually sh- he basically shows up and he's like, "No, I'm just I'm awesome. You guys can't do anything against me." And he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> it's just like, well, that's how chill he is. Um. Anyway, we got this business going on with Victory, the Latverian superhero who was supposed to kind of look after Latveria while Doom was deposed, and she has given up Latveria to a puppet monarch or dictator. That confuses um, me. That confuses the shit out of me. Like, there's got to be some sort of like plan here because the fact that she did that is betraying her ultimate master, lord and master, whatever you want to call it. You Doom. See, yeah. You see a ton of that motivation going around in here. She's working with some carrion monarch, the Silver Sable, and then some elements of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Doom figures out about the uh, Fortunov dynasty running things in Latveria again, and they're like, nope, there's not going to be any more despotic BS in this country, and he's furious about it. Um simultaneously we get this really cute scene between victorious and silver sable at a bar trying like getting rid of some schmuck that's trying to hit on him it doesn't really have anything to do anything it's just a continuation of the media broadcast so we can see the pacing i say the pacing in this book is really really good because transitioning from one scene to the next and like being able to still tell the story from multiple persons perspectives is quite clever uh doom actually goes to a library to try to figure out how to deal with uh, some materials that have to do with cloud seeding. And then he sees for the first time this woman that has been appearing in his uh, um, in his visions that he's having about and who, who is supposed to be his wife. Then Kang pops in. This was fantastic. Okay, Kang just appears in the library sitting across from him. Doom. Uh, so I'm sorry, guys. I don't know if this is broadcasting the content or what. But uh, Doom is like, where did you or when did you come from now? And Kang is like, 2099. Strange error. What's the future? <laughs> now somehow dated. Oh, <laughs> like, love it. Love it, it. It was 
perfect because when you think about it, 2099 was the future in the 90s when they developed it. And now they still more or less maintain that aesthetic for 29 in the 2099 in the current 2099 books. Freaking intelligent, great moment. It was clever. Uh, the funny thing is that there was a recurring joke in this. Like, uh, I'm trying to remember the, if this was the first part of it for, or if it was another part. But, like, um, somebody's like, oh, Doom's trying to figure out uh, how to do something to, like, oh, yeah, just to, like, create some kind of ice storm in the Baxter building. Like, Kang does the same thing here. Uh, Kang is like, what are you trying to do? Uh, well, I'm trying, I'm a scientist. I'm, I'm looking for a scientist. Oh, to create a doomsday weapon and seize control, right? I'm looking for a meteorologist. Oh, to take, to create some kind of ice storm within the Baxter building? Like, it was a recurring joke that happened twice in the same issue, and it was awesome both times. So, then you've got Blue Marvel and Herbie running around and doing crap, and honestly, I just don't where, really care what's going on with it. Where do you, where do you think this, this story's going? Because this is... Uh, I feel like we've been in limbo for a little bit too long. I know this is just... Uh, I know, that's what I'm talking ish, about. Issue five. I mean, I'm, yeah. usually they wrap it up in six, but it, nothing is telling me that they're going to be able to wrap this up in issue six. Well, they might get lucky, because I know you haven't read it yet, so spoilers abound. Tell me. Um, some serious stuff goes down when Doom finds this meteorologist. And she's got a, some kind of a science experiment taking place on North Brother Island in New York City, which is a fascinating place. Fascinating <laughs> place. Uh, if you don't know what North Brother Island is, Minefielders, I Ninja Turtles. You. Yes, Ninja Turtles. And uh, also get on Wikipedia and just read what's, what's going on there and why nobody's allowed to go there. Um, so there's a showdown on North Brother Island. Kang shows up with Dr. Doom armor. And it's like, Doom, put this on. Uh, I'm from a future where... Uh, I'm, I'm from 200 years from now. And uh, you... Or I, I gave this to myself 200 years from now with instructions to give me to give it to you so you could save the world. And then he's like, boom, pops out again uh, after he shoots Blue, uh, shoots blue Marvel. Um, or sorry, he shirts, shoots... Shirts, he shoots Herbie and more or less blows him up. Uh, and so there's this big throwdown going on. And then Doom basically, you kind of forget that he's there because everybody else is, you know, punchy punch time. And then Doom is like classic Doom with like big red border around his text. Big splash page looking regal and awesome. Belt with a gun, chaliced fist, mask, green cloak, just like you want to see him. And he's like, no, all of this crap is over. I'm Doom. I'm in charge. This is how I do things. This is how everyone should be respecting me. Blah, blah, blah. So he has a four-bubble monologue setting up. Hopefully he's going to come into issue six and just be like the worst thing in the world and nobody can handle him. We get to watch that. But like, I really don't know what's going to happen. The cover for the next issue has Doom and Kang. They're either like holding you know like that uh, you know like that painting that's been going around that's a meme of predator yeah with arnold and uh arnold schwarzenegger and carl weathers like testing you strength son of a bitch <laughs> yeah. yeah like that's kind of what it is either kang and doom are doing that on the cover of the next book or they're having some kind of arm wrestling competition i can't tell it was 
a book where a lot of stuff happened, but it only propelled the story forward by a couple of ticks. Mainly that he figured out who the woman is in his uh, in his visions. The, the and wife. Went and he found her, and he talked to her, and she immediately was like, "I'm subservient towards doom." Blah 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 blah. And then he's like, "No no no no, I'm supposed to marry you." And she's like. Not a chance. I am absolutely against your dictatorial blah, blah, blah and your nonsense. And uh, it was just weird to see her switch like that. But it, when you're programmed from a cult of personality, it kind of it makes sense. This is a clever book with a lot of stuff going on in it that I think would strike a lot of Americans as difficult to appreciate. But they're doing it so well because it's taken from an American personality. I really, I'm really hoping that this book is looked at from the Marvel writers and the bullpen as something that they're going to establish some serious canon from. I, oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really hope that, too. I, I think it would be a huge disservice to Doom. Uh, and, and honestly, like I, w- I would imagine writing... If you and I were writing a Doom story, I, I, I would imagine that Doom was in the room ready to kill us the second we said the wrong thing. Oh and, my god, that's an incredible way to put it. Yeah. And and I want some canon out of this shit. I, I want them to build something that that they can use as a scaffolding for the next 10-15 years. Whether they're doing something with Kang, whether with Doom or Latveria. I want to see some more stuff with Latveria. Because I don't want it to see like is this like a, a medieval area anymore. I want it to become something like Wakanda. Um, and also... Oh man, I, I don't. Just, just give it some clout more than just these serfs running about praising Lord Doom, uh, which is so outdated to me. Give us something new with Kang, and leave it alone. And then make sure everyone knows this shit is the truth, and abide by this for at least the next ten years or fifteen or twenty. I, I would hope that like the okay, like let's take a second and look at Marvel villains. I really think that Doom should pers- persistently be. The Marvel Universe's most dangerous, most powerful, living bad guy. And it's because of his capabilities and it's because he has a country. Try as he might, like, does Magneto rule Genosha? Oh. No. Wow. That's a no. sticky, that's he a really sticky, doesn't. sticky situation on that one. But even I then, mean, I, did I, get, he I get for what you're a saying. While before Grant Morrison killed him? Yeah, no, I, I get it. Okay. Right, that's good, what I'm getting good point. Good Who point. has a country? Now, like the Mandarin, I feel like the Mandarin stands a chance of having some country that like borders Mongolia and the Soviet Union or the former Soviet Union, Russia, uh, depending on when you happen to be reading these books, and, like, and China, uh, or maybe North Korea or something like that. He's got a region, and he should have people that are worshipping him and following him because he's this amazing, weird guy, and they think that he'll bring them to some kind of like you know consensus stuff like that it's just like you gotta have a country you gotta have followers you gotta have a industrial support base and all of this stuff like that i just feel like yes i i'm I'm a little tired of seeing dr doom get deposed uh i'm a little bit tired of seeing dr doom like latveria fall into ruin and then he comes back and fixes it and then some other unfortunate thing happens. Yeah, I just, I really want to see, let's be consistent with Latveria and what it is for at least a decade. That would be great. I agree with you. What else we got? Dare, oh. let's, let's, let's do Daredevil, because this one knocked my fucking socks off. Yeah. 
Uh, uh, let's see, Daredevil writ, writ, still being written by Chip Zdarsky. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, Zdarsky's still doing the artwork. Uh, Sex Criminals, uh, the new uh, number twenty-five, came out this uh, last week, and uh, oh, I, man. Wow. I, 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 I've got like four issues to get caught up on before I can uh, read twenty-five yet, but I've got it. But Zdarsky is the artist on that, and uh, we've got Matt Fraction writing this, and then Zdarsky's writing Daredevil, which is fucking amazing, and uh, Jorge Fornes, man. You know, I was a little kind of, I mean, his artwork is so nitty gritty, and my eyes are always looking for nice smooth curves, you know, uh, you know, I, I like punk rock art, I like graffiti art, but when it comes to uh, comic books, uh, I'm a little bit more partial to, to cleaner lines, and what better guy to do such an amazing book so consistently uh what, what, what issue are we on right now this is this is number uh, uh it's year it's through hell part 17 seven. issue 17 we're, we're almost coming up on two years of him doing this book and what a perfect guy to do a book in hell's kitchen great emotion. I, I totally agree look look at the quality of the of the work when it comes to the establishing shots the street level scenes with vendors and shops and like what New York looks like and then like looking at the at looking at the like the first panel in the book after the uh, title page is an establishing street scene and it is parked cars and it is buildings fire escapes windows Pain, texture pains in the asses for anyone that is an artist that knows this shit is boring to draw uh no one likes doing giant uh you know uh cityscapes and fire fire escapes and perfectly uh you know centered or or even just having to do with um the horizon line and and all god those are like some of the worst parts of of uh, of art school and just learning to, to draw comics because it was just like because you want to get to the fun stuff right you, you're mm-hmm. in wrestling you, you want to start taking some bumps doing some high flying stuff but you got to do the fundamentals first and this guy's knocking him out of the park man it's like like really i, I guess what i'm really trying to say is is that for the first time in a very long time hell's kitchen is a living, breathing character in this comic, and oh yeah, I mean he goes and visits the mother of the, uh, you know, the street thug that Daredevil accidentally killed, and look at the interior of her home. There are cracks. It's floorboards. There's debris. The furniture looks used. There, like I said, texture. In the bed, in the kitchen, there's tile that's cracked. There's, there are spots. It's just like there are little spots everywhere. Right. It's not like reading Daredevil when Frank Miller did it. It's not like reading Daredevil in the '80s and the '70s where it's just like, you know, here's the multicolored and whatever. I mean, this just feels like a real. You're right, nitty gritty. This it, feels like a real place. It has personality. It's distinct to the people in it. Even though this woman is a special guest star they still put time and money into giving her a space with character isn't it amazing how much of the story takes place during the day have you noticed it's, that yeah that's really impressive uh, that's that, so hard to do in hell's kitchen especially with daredevil because he has to work at at, at night like <laughs> he he's really can't be jumping uh from roof to roof in in a red or yellow costume or even in a costume at all because there's there's enough people in the street to notice what's going on and that's what i love another thing i love is that everyone in hell's kitchen knows something's wrong 
Whether it's oh the, yeah yeah, the, yeah I totally agree. Whether it's the the dude that runs the bodega or the guys that are trying to uh, fill the space, the 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 owl's crew uh, to fill the the power vacuum, the fact that Wilson Fisk, I mean that that dialogue they had in the hospital uh, last last oh issue, last issue, uh, not being able to trust Electra. I mean, like how good. I mean, that was one thing I, I, I lamented we didn't really talk about at the last issue was the fact that we got sucked in just like Matt did that Electra was on the level. <laughs> and how did we not see that come? Well, it's just <laughs> one of those dumb, annoying things. Think about, think about the girlfriend that you had who you would really rather it have worked out with agreed but even then and that's what she is and so every time she shows up whether she's the if she's the mayor of new york or a scroll or the leader of the hand or if she's a member of black sabbath or something you're gonna want it to you're gonna want her to hope to be there for you but she's never there for you and she's there agreed to do I, a show she's there to Whatever. She's there for all of the stuff that doesn't have anything to do with you. But she's going to act like she's there for you. Not like, oh my god, go back to uh, Daredevil Volume 2 with, that, with Bendis and uh, Alex leave with the Black Widow showing up. Yeah, she needed a place to lie low for a minute. But she was really hoping that she and Daredevil, or D- she and Matt could kick it off again. And he wouldn't do it because he was married. You know? I think that that's the thing that sucks about being Daredevil is how many awesome women you've been with who just keep reappearing and don't want to come to the table. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, like they're there for the they're there for the uh, the honeymoon phase, and they're not there for the nitty gritty. And yeah, but when it comes to Electra, what I, I mean, like yeah, if, if it would have been one of my ex girlfriends, I would have been hella suspicious the whole time. There would have been nothing. And, and and that's what got me was that <laughs> Electra in my mind is always has always been an ex girlfriend of mine because I've been in love with her since I can remember and I should have seen it coming. And it just everything just went so well and then it's giving people just so many things to talk about when it comes to this is that you can't just give people money like that. It's not gonna work well. Uh, they didn't earn it. It it came from nowhere, and it's going to go to the wrong places. Yeah, what we're talking about here is that uh, uh, Matt and Electra more or less went into to mess up a uh, like a mess up a high society situation, and Electra more or less stole a billion dollars from them. Yeah, and yeah, she dumped a lot of money into the into hell's kitchen into small businesses and charitable donations um and matt was pissed but in the end he sees what it does so to me that's the difference like when iron man showed up to peter parker and said look we all know who you are yeah we really do and we know you're smarter than this i mean look what you did you've got this web fluid you get those web shooters that in and of itself shows the inventive quality that you need to share with the world. Your intelligence. You don't need. Do you need to be running, swinging around, punching up bag thieves, or do you need to invent something that is going to save the world, change the world? You know, and that's like Daredevil here. It's not Daredevil. Does Matt Murdock need to be running around in a costume, doing the work of Daredevil, 
Or does he need to find a way to actually tackle the biggest bad guys on their own turf, in their own tennis courts, at their jewelry shops, you know, in their drug dens? He doesn't need to go beat up the street level guys anymore. Somebody else can be doing that. Leave that to Luke Cage. Oh, I'm sorry. He's milling around with Jessica Jones everywhere being a daddy. He's not really doing anything. Like, who is it left to then? Or do those guys matter? Who's screwing things up more? So that's that's the whole point. You get this masquerade ball, and he goes and he wants to confront... What is the name of this family again? The so... The... Stromwins. The Stromwins. Who are apparently the richest couple in the world. But it's more or less a trap. Because they're all wearing masks. He, of course, knows what's going on. They figure out that he's clearly the devil... Whether or not he happens to be Matt Murdock, they don't get that part figured out. But they clear out the place, and he's like, oh, I should beat all these guys up, but I'm not going to do it because that's just not who I am anymore. That's the thing I appreciate about this, because if, if the next creative team on Daredevil takes anything that this book is giving to them, I guarantee Chip Zdarsky will have a Daredevil in costume by the end of this book. That'll be like, I'm going to be Daredevil forever. At the very least, the next guys need to take what's going on here and say, yeah, but you're not going to be the Daredevil we've always known. You're grown. You're doing different things. I think that's, I think that's what needs to happen, just like we're talking about with Doom, you know? Now, I want to talk about the scene where he goes and meets the uh, mother of the uh, murdered kid that everyone thinks Daredevil murdered. And oh, the, right. the, the look on his face... She flat out calls him out for being Daredevil. And yeah. the the what I want to slave over right now is the fact that he could have that 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 scene where it's just him in in, in the shot like as a silhouette as she hugs him uh, after yeah. she hugged him and she's like, you know, she's not mad at him and that she forgives him. But the what what was the reasoning? She knows you're Daredevil. <laughs> just period. Why couldn't you have just said that was some other dude dressed as Daredevil and I'm trying to figure it out? She already called you out on it. She gave you the forgiveness. So you can't take the forgiveness in stride because you're going to pretend you're not him? Or you, or do you feel that you need to be punished for this? Because I feel like one of the, like the main um, tropes or, or, or backbones in this entire issue was that, is that he feels... That he needs to atone and that everyone is allowed to give him shit. Uh, Fozzie, uh, not Fozzie. <laughs> um, Foggy. Foggy gives him shit. He takes it. He says he's sorry. He's got he's to gotta make amends for Electra. And that's, I, I feel like that was the main tone of this issue was like, I got to make some amends. Like this was the, this was the issue that levels him out and puts him in the right mind space for him to be able to take down these shithead rich assholes with the right mindset without crossing the line or making the mistakes he always makes or, or the, uh, all the uh, repeating any, any uh, past regrets, which is, is a feasible thing when you're in a violent situation con- consistently. Uh, and I, I really hope that this, this issue is what helps him slow time down to fight better, to think better, to make the better decisions when, when it all comes down to it. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know if I'm looking too far into it. I mean, this is issue 17, which confuses me because, you know, Marvel usually does things in six-issue spurts now. Yeah. So we've got 18 coming up. 
I, I don't think they're going to be able to do anything in regards to wrapping up taking down these rich assholes at all in one new issue, number 18, uh, to finish out the six uh, for, you know, for 18. And then, no, I, I want this, man, h- how long do you want this story to go on for? Because this is already a, this is already eclipse eclipse Shadowland. I I don't know because I don't I don't need him to get back into the Daredevil costume at this point because I'm not interested in reading about Daredevil anymore. I'm reading about Matt Murdock. I'm reading about Ooh, Hell's good, Kitchen. Good point. Hell's Kitchen is now a character. Can you save its soul? No, you probably can't. Can you make its life better? Yes, you definitely can. It's 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 like watching any number of TV dramas about some some town and there's a variety of different people who are doing whatever they can. You know, it isn't modern family, it's not friends, it's not the office, you know? It's just like Hey, we're here and we've got problems. It's it's like it's almost like it's almost like Riverdale. Hey, we all have something going on. We've all got problems. This is persisting from the past, and this is, you know, it, there's a seedy little heart here, and we got to figure out what to do about it. Can we can we make it bloom? Do we have to stomp it out? What do we have to get rid of? What do we have to fix? You know, can he make a deal with all the bad guys? Like Doctor Strange, this is my place and you don't have it anymore. You can go over there, but you can't be here. I won't come get you. You don't step foot here. What has he got to do to make this place worth doing? And it's going to have to come. Dude, I got to say it. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, it's not a fleet. It's just people. And I think that would be the most satisfactory direction to take this. Because in the end, it could almost be V for Vendetta. You know, ooh, we're all. Well, I can't think of the name of the guy. We're all V. Like, no, none of us are gonna let this happen anymore. You if, cannot do this. If like, you feel what I feel, if you know what I know, <laughs> yeah, Hell's Kitchen could be the place where crime gets run out of town. Hell's Kitchen could be the place where the the people get up. And decide, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, maybe the, maybe this bar doesn't belong here anymore. Maybe it goes down to St. Mark's. Well, you can't go there anymore because that place is way too upscale. We're gonna, I, the whole concept, it is a tired old concept that works because it's realistic and it happens in the real world. Dark Man, oh. the Daredevil TV series. That's the, here, it's wh- happening. Run down the property values, buy the whole place up. Knock it down, rebuild it, get high-class assholes to move in, and you will get rid of the crime. It happened in Compton. I saw it with my own eyes. In like, it happened in downtown L.A. I saw it with my own eyes. I don't know anything past that. I haven't been there in a long, long time, but like, it's the truth. It's happened in, it happened in downtown OKC, Bricktown. It happened in downtown Tulsa, condos forever like they could do that with hell's kitchen it's just a question is it going to be a groundswell of the people or is it going to be rich evil assholes who have connections 
from all kinds of awful places. I'm glad you brought that up because like the one of the things I'm slaving over about this particular book is where it's going to end because you can't just all you can't make Hell's Kitchen into Utopia. These people would not accept no. it. Um, but you also have to level things out. Like I, I think the best case scenario is the best crime family takes over, uh, handling things the best they can because that's what these people are used to and that's how they want to live and that's they're they're okay with it. That's 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 the weird thing. What a awesome dude. That is very clever. If the Libris family, who we've never seen before, because they're not the Kingpin, they're not the Owl. They're not Hammerhead. They're not Tombstone. Yeah. They're not any of the gang war characters. Oh my gosh, dude, that's really awesome. They, yeah, yeah. It, it, there, there's got to be a nice, you know, month of stasis where everyone's okay. But also at the same time, the, the the family can't come off as a bunch of pussies and being like nice to everybody. So and, and then also we can't just end it with Matt Murdock hanging up his his sticks. There's got to be a reason for him to be Daredevil again without it pissing us off because, the because frankly, I hated the ending of Shadowland. Uh, the, that turned me off for Daredevil, Daredevil for years. Um, this uh, is what you do. And Dude, what, what, uh, how about a Daredevil Wolverine in Japan for like, or in Madripoor? God, you, go, how do you know you, me that well? How do you know me that well? Dude, get him, <laughs> get him out. Hey, things are under control. I believe you. We have an agreement. It makes sense. I don't have to be the mayor anymore. Yeah. I don't have to be the kingpin anymore. I don't have to be Daredevil here. But somewhere they need Daredevil. And I don't have to... I'm not doing this anymore because I've got to do it. I'm not doing this anymore because of my dad. I'm not doing this anymore to protect my family and my loved ones because they're fine. I'm doing this because somewhere someone needs help. And I can help them, you know? And I, maybe he goes to go go be the ninja for a while. For, like, the next creative team. Go be the ninja. Go someplace that... Why, why, it doesn't all have to be New York. It doesn't all have to be America. If, I, if, does a, he, Daredevil doesn't need to go to space. But, like, yeah, go be a ninja somewhere. You've got me on the years. jazz. You've got me on the jazz now, dude. dude. Because, because right now I'm thinking, from what they've been doing, and I, I, I don't know how I didn't realize this before, but think about Scarlet Witch. Uh, Madripoor is turning into the uh, hero's vacation. <laughs> to, talking uh, about Black Widow? Yeah, talking about Black Widow. Uh, like, we're, okay. we're, we're, we're like, i got to go clear my head. I want nothing to do with anything. I don't, I don't even want yeah. to be myself. I'm going to Madripoor and pretending to be someone else and whoop some ass and then get the fuck out. Like it's it's like a hero's vacation spot to go fuck shit up and then and then fix it and then get the hell out. And then Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I don't think that's a good thing. I I really I think that you could get away with it one time and they did it. It was an awesome like the Soska sisters and we we reviewed the bejeez out of that Black Widow book. Yeah, it was uh, phenomenal. They wrote it. It was really good. The Soska sisters. Was it Julie and what? Soska sisters. Do you remember? I'm pulling it up. Gotta pull it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just jump in when you get it. Yeah, guys, if you didn't read that Black Widow book, if you haven't been keeping up with us over the last year, then uh, I would see, I, I would recommend it. It's 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 a very real thing. Jen and Sylvia. Yeah. Jen and Sylvia. Yeah. Jen and Sylvia Soska. Yeah. Way to go, ladies. Yeah. Um, what do you got uh, next? I think 
Oh, I'm sorry. What I got next? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Cutting you I'm off. Yeah, we get it. <clears throat> We've been slaving over Daredevil for like 30 minutes. Oh, not at all. Uh, okay, dude. Yondu number five. Help me out with this because I tuned out. Is okay. it? it... Yondu. We all know Yondu from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Of course. Michael Rooker, blue guy, red thing on his head. And uh, so what's been going on in Yondu after we do the credits? Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler, writers. John McCree, artist. Very original artwork, comparatively. Uh, Mike Spicer is the colorist. G- VC's Joe Caramagna, letterer. And then uh, Cully Han- Hamner and Mike Spicer is the cover artist. And now I'm looking at the cover. I'm trying to see what it is that needs two guys. But okay. Um, okay, Yondu, in the previous issue, explain. Okay, how do I go about this? Yondu is being himself and doing his thing. Uh, he's a, he was a reaver. He can't be a reaver anymore, but he's got connections throughout the galaxy, right? And he goes to all of his ports of call. He's like the dirty, sleazy Mal Reynolds or Han Solo or whatever you want to do. And he comes across an opportunity to pick up the Herald's Chalice, an artifact. You know, it's a magical item. It will give the power cosmic to the person who can use it. Okay. And so <clears throat> everybody's after this thing. Well, in addition to Yondu trying to get away and make the buck, Yondu from the year 3000 shows up. And he's like, you're my forebearer, and you're my ancestor, and you're the great one, and you, you, you repaired our society, and uh, you're, you're revered where I come from. And, and Yondu Uganda, uh, or Udanta from now is like, no, man, that's a bunch of crap. I'm not that guy, you know. So the opportunity in this story has been to see a redemption. Okay. Does the guy take the power and run with it? Does the guy give up the power? Does the guy make the money? And we have seen this story done again and again and again, but somehow or another, the opportunities here made this so real that this is, I think, one of the best, most successful versions of that that tale I've ever seen. And I kind of want to read it all back to back to back now. It's only five issues. But it's the difference. In, in the previous issue... Uh, current Yondu is explaining to future Yondu why he won't go home and why he doesn't like his people and they they shrug or they shun technology and uh, you know there were these aliens that were there that were amazing and they were like yeah we just want you know this that and the other and Yondu got on their ship and crashed it and accidentally killed an envoy and they exiled him from society so that's why he's been out there in the galaxy being an a-hole and uh, their, the beautiful, beautiful thing about the, so their society is the idea of their connection to their God and to their world and to their culture and their people and all of this stuff. And he doesn't have any of it. And how he's got to be shown the most basic, honorable reality to start trying to take a step back, back to where he comes from. And so, I mean, there, you know, it's just, it's a bloody mess. This has got all the hallmarks of like uh, an early 90s 
action book. It's extreme, but it's not unrealistically extreme. Um, every moment of this, every panel is unique. It's just fascinating looking at this artwork. And I, I got to say, like, by the end of it, I was pretty broken up. I mean, there's some weird stuff that happened by the end of it, but, like, yeah, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I really want you to get it. There's an enormous battle at the end. It's, you know, the chalice going from one person to the next. Uh, you've got all of these, like, really N-grade cosmic characters showing up that you would never suspect would be the people who are after this thing and for what reason. And then, uh, you know, the opportunity comes up. Yandu would not use the Yaka arrow. And when the opportunity presents itself to do it, he does it and he uses the chosen weapon of his people and he's able to save the day. And that's that first step going back towards where he needs to come, where he came from and where he needs to go. And uh, I mean, seriously, without, without spoil, I don't know how to tell anything more without spoiling it. I just think it's one of the best... It's not uh, exactly a redemption story. I'm not going to read it, so, so tell me. You're not going to read it? Uh, I mean, the Yaka era is critically important to his people, and he realizes that the his people have been incapable of stopping people from mining it and taking it away for their own purposes, and he realizes that they've sold it off. And so there's a very Native American concept going on here. Like, oh, well, this is our land and there's oil on it and blah, blah, blah. Much like the Osage tribe up in northern Oklahoma and several other tribes that had oil under their property and stuff like that. So at the end of the book, Yandu has given up the herald of uh, – or he's, he's given up the um, – uh, Harold's chalice. I'm sorry. He and he and uh, Silver Surfer Black Knight have gone to uh, the the uh, Gal Galador, the Space Knight homeworld, and given it to them because they have the personal honor and fortitude to maybe clean up the galaxy. And by giving them this power. They that that sets the tone for a very powerful possible future, and then after that, Yondu decides his personal mission, his quest, will be to go and find all of the Yaka ore that has been stolen or taken or sold by his people and return it to his homeworld. Like and to be fully re fully redeemed. I don't know if it's to be fully redeemed, but to at least pay a debt. Because he did a horrible thing when he was a young man, and maybe at the end he will, maybe he'll be welcomed back into society. I think he could go on with his life without it, but um, you know, it's not the tragic end to Yondu that we got in Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Thank goodness for that, because this I like the idea of a tragic Yondu running around the universe trying to take care of business. And maybe falling in with the Guardians at some point. Or now, I was gonna, I was gonna bring that something. up. I've got two ideas how this is gonna end. Oh, it's over. Well, well, I mean, like, uh, obviously, 
but at the same time to wield it to rein it in for him to be a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy again. And then second off, stories like this are so important because I mean you 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 think about those those comics you read when you were a kid and and they told your story and you just couldn't get enough of it, read it a hundred hundred times, whether or not it was yeah. your only comic you had. But even <clears throat> then Stories like this need to exist to show that no matter what you've done, you can always come home. You can always make amends. You can always... I mean, granted, if you didn't kill anybody or or be a serial killer, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. These, yeah. rede- these redemptive stories are absolutely essential to uh, the status quo of, of anyone that is reading comics or just knows how to read in general. Because uh, how many times have you been up at night and then all of a sudden your brain goes hey remember that one time you did something really stupid and embarrassed you and you're just gonna slave over it all night and 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 you 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 can't get over it even though it was like 20 years ago or some stupid shit like that books like this happens books like this need to exist to show people like you can do it forgiveness is definitely on the table because you that's what i appreciate about the way this ends there's no guarantee that he's got the right idea there's right? no guarantee that anything he's going to do is going to change his life for the better. But he has chosen a direction. And, yeah, he's probably going to go out and have to do some scarilous BS at some point or another. But, you know, hey, whatever he happens to be doing, if there's Yaka or he's going to go after it. And he's going to return it to his home planet. Maybe not directly to the people. Maybe not necessarily spending the time to find people who really, really need it. Or what does it actually do for anybody? We don't know. It's one MacGuffin to the next here. But it's still... It's it's the nobility of it. That this guy has the opportunity to be that noble. So, that's I, it's, I, yeah, you're right. I appreciate this story. And uh, I kind of want to read it back to back to back just to get that... The full insight, the full everything all at once. I and mean, when it, you do think about like the question: Is there any guarantee? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, he's a revered person among the Centaurians of the year three thousand. So, you know, is this Yondu, the Yondu that was in the Guardians of the Galaxy with Martinex and Charlie Twenty Seven, and you know, uh, Major Victory? I don't really know that it is necessarily. But it's a revered name that's passed down through the ages. So, well, let's uh, let's keep it cosmic. Uh, uh, let me take the let me take point on Darth Vader number one. Oh, please do. Uh, Darth Vader number one. Uh, I'm a little tired of how it always starts, but even though you, you turn the page a long time ago in a galaxy far far away, and then yep. boom, the yellow font, and then the crawl. Um, it, it confused me because of what's going on right now, and, and well, not confused me, but it confounded me of what's going on right now in Star Wars, uh, the the new Star Wars number one, uh, in between Jedi and uh, Empire, and you see him just slaving over the. I got really, I got really exhausted in the first two pages. I get it. You want to control your son. Um, it's a little played out, but quickly things dematerialize to something even better. When the Empire, the Emperor is obviously pissed at him for a massive failure, gets a couple of droids, says, don't ever repeat this shit to anybody, and uh, mm-hmm. he goes on a, on a search, and we, we go back to Tatooine, 
And okay, so we're at Tatooine. I'm still not sold. Dude, yeah, I I could go the rest <clears throat> of my life without ever visiting Tatooine in another Star Wars story ever again. Ever. I am so tired of that damn planet. Tired of it. Um, so we get to uh, we get the uh, explorers. Um, archaeologist trip here we see some relics that were hidden where his uh mother was buried we find uh different relics within um was it shem or sure no um, shimmy shimmy that's his mother and then aunt aunt, aunt veru and uncle owen and they're like perfect like this is one of the things I, I wondered how they even pulled that off remember like in in uh a new hope like it looks like uh, Aunt Veru's clothes are like just straight out of Studio 64 if she was a grandma. <laughs> and, <laughs> and 54. Studio 54. And um, yeah, so we we track it down. We're going we're going backwards slash forwards depending on how you want to watch the the you know all nine of them. And we get to the Padme's apartment where you know they sent the bugs to kill her, and they find that little tracker, and then we get to a planet. Where he encounters Padme is that a, and like and that's what really pissed me off was because oh uh, yeah it, it like don't tease me with that because the movie the the Skywalker trilogy is or or, or nine uh, what's uh, nine nine things at once is <laughs> supposedly over and we have to deal with the fact that you know we're gonna deal with some great other new Star Wars stories which is gonna be great. But revisiting this seems really exhaustive, and I'm I'm not quite sold on it yet because obviously that they, they we turn the page. Oh, it's Padme. She's alive. Oh my God. Yes. I mean, and then but let's no, say, that's let's, let's that's revert. not how I felt. <laughs> I know. I I I absolutely it was, would hate it if that's what they do. But best case scenario, this is one of her royal duplicates. Oh, God, and that's what I'm expecting on page two uh, uh, next month, or next week, actually, because they pump yeah. these out so goddamn quick, um, is, is back in the day when we, when we got, like, a, a cliffhanger of an issue, we had to wait a month, and, and it wasn't like, everything you just thought was awesome is now gone. No, it, it, it perpetuated the story, and I, I totally expect it for the second page to be like, oh, I'm not really Padme, I'm one of her... her her duplicates. I'm her fucking dumbass clone or some stupid shit like that. Oh, God, um, no clones, please. Ugh. What did you feel when you turned the page and saw that? Uh, it was a huge letdown. I mean, I didn't think about that being a... Like, I was already losing my interest. Uh, the droid is compelling to a degree, watching this. I don't want to revisit all of these places. You know? Not like, in the least bit. Not in the least bit. I'm already living that problem in my own life, okay? I already talked about... I, I've told you about it, you know? There is a gigantic citadel of emotional energy over a very particular place where I spent a lot of time. And there are in gigantic arcs of lightning that's that never go away just perpetual bolt of lightning striking out from that citadel to all of these other very specific places and i have to go to each of those places 
and overwrite what happened there by doing something different to break the spell. I am under a spell. That's how I feel. And that's what I just watched in this, or just looked in this book, read in this book. Like, I don't want to go to Tatooine. I am sick of Tatooine. For the planet that is the farthest from the bright center of the universe, as put by Luke Skywalker in Star Wars in 1977, too much shit happens there. And so there's that. I, and then we're following Darth Vader around in all of these different places. Why? What's he looking for? Like, we're going back to his home on, uh, with, with Padme on Coruscant? Back, for what back, reason? Back again. Why? I don't care. <laughs> like, I, he, that doesn't help him find Luke Skywalker. Was he looking for evidence that the boy existed at all? You already know he exists. Right. You think there's going to be evidence about where he might be? That doesn't make any sense either. And then suddenly we're just on this weird planet with a bunch of non-bipedal aliens. It's just, I don't know what that's all about. It, it's getting exhausting. Like, all these pages could be used to make new Star Wars stories to make new movies and TV shows off of. And, and, and to make as new canon. And that's, that's what's pissing me off. Is like yeah. I, I'm done with these stories. I'm done with the Skywalkers. I I, I want to move on. I want uh, the the one of my favorite things about the Mandalorian was it rejuvenated my love of the galaxy that Star Wars is based on. That we can have just as good stories without involving all this uh, Skywalker bullshit because we're done. They've ruined it. Um, whether you whether you agree with me or not, it's over. And we need to get more material and and the other travesty is all the stuff that they dis- disavowed after marvel bought up everything from dark horse and and disney took over and uh, some of the greatest books that were canon are now just like oh none of it mattered but we're gonna use the dark saber for just this one thing and uh give well, us let me ask you this okay tell me which, which of those books did you like uh darth bane Darth Bane. I don't even know that. I haven't even read that Ooh, one. The Darth, the Darth Bane one was, was money, and all of a sudden it just didn't mean anything anymore, and that really pissed me off because I read it like three times. And I will always, always, I would always rather have read or watched a movie of Courtship of Princess Leia. That is such a good book. Oh, I didn't even Truth know that existed. Bakura, I have never been able to get through. Hmm. I love I, Heir to the Empire was amazing. It was amazing to have a Star Wars book in my hand in 1991 or whatever. But something about Dark Force Rising was just so like it, it was just intense reading that book. And then <clears throat> Children of the Jedi, I really didn't like. Uh, Planet of Twilight was really frustrating to read. You, you know what I find is stressful is that you and I uh, are like, I'm sure you get the same thing I do, is that people uh, regard us as experts in the ways of the force, considering how we grew up with it and how much we've read and indulged and paid for memorabilia and gone to cons. And it's it stresses me out when people ask me questions about Star Wars now, because 
they're not I, I know they're not gonna like my answer and I don't wanna be that that old fuddy duddy that's like oh no the ways of the force is all within the, the you know uh, four through four through seven and no I, I don't wanna be like that but at the same time though uh, I, I, I want to inform them like that you were cheated in certain points um, mm-hmm. this was subpar and not just from my own opinion but if, if I was weighing things like if I was selling some weed, um, <laughs> that's the shittiest metaphor ever. Um, I'd sell them like you got sold some crappy Mexican brick weed when you could have been smoking this awesome Colorado dank, and um, they they cheated you out of that. And then other things slipped through the cracks that they didn't realize were going to be so good, like Rogue One. And people hate on Solo for some reason. That movie was nothing but a roller coaster fun ride. And that was a great movie. It was a lot of fun. And, and I mean, the, I'm not. I don't really appreciate the whole Darth Maul thing at the end, but still, it was no, such a cute movie. It, it, I love Cora. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, you can stick. I, I have never watched Game of Thrones. I've seen one episode, the first episode. I haven't watched and, any of it. And uh, Amelia Clark, to me, is. A fascinating actress capable of so much and has no, like, by herself is, is just, like, a credible person. I, I, I would really, I loved her as Sarah Connor in that terrible Terminator movie, but I don't need to see her in that role again. Uh, and uh, I really, really loved her in, uh, in Solo. She was awesome in that movie. All right, let's move on. Vader was yeah. Vader was lukewarm. Uh, great art. It, the, I'm not saying I'm not hating the art. The art was very emotive. It was what it should have been. It, up to quality, up to code. If if that's what <laughs> we want to say it. That uh, I've got Dark Agnes number one. Uh, yeah, Becky Becky Cloonan is part of the Conan universe. Uh, Becky Cloonan wrote it. Uh, Luca Pizzari, artist. Uh, J. David Ramos. Is that a J? This this. This uh, weird medieval font <laughs> as colorist. VCs, uh, Travis Lanham letterer, but only because I can recognize that. Uh, Stephanie Hans, cover artist. This is based on, uh, we're, we're talking like medieval France, and the guy's about to get beheaded. He's been somebody that has been like almost like a V. And he was caught, and she, uh, she, Dark Agnes rolls up and saves his ass, and they go to a just like in like the beginning, like every good Conan story, they they make some grandiose escape, uh, retreat to some uh, isolated area, and go to an inn where they order some some ale and some some uh, <laughs> s- yep. some uh, very D and D, yeah, and uh, and uh, some stew and. And obviously they're recognized. Her face is everywhere. This one, it, it read like, it made me feel good because I've seen her evolve as a as a writer. Because she's always been an, a straight up artist. I remember when I first encountered her in American Virgin, uh, the Vertigo series, uh, when she, she was also uh, writing, uh, doing the uh, artwork for um, Gerard Way for the the Killjoys. When oh she did, yeah, when Brian mm-hmm. Woods. Brian Woods demo. She she did all the art in that, and she's been expanding and expanding and um, writing more. I mean, she was doing. She was writing Punisher for 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 a spell, 
until Steve Dillon died, and then they, they abruptly ended that, like, one or two issues after that, which was, like, such a heartbreak moment, because everyone loves Steve Dillon, because he was so responsible some of for some of the best things we've ever encountered, like Preacher and all the best constant, uh, Constantine Hellblazer runs, and um, obviously working with uh, Grant... Uh, God, I, I spaced on it yesterday. Uh, guy that did Preacher. <laughs> what the hell is his name? Irish guy. Garth Ennis, and... Uh, and um, he was doing stuff with Garth Ennis with uh, Punisher and uh, Punisher Max specifically. And she has evolved so much from the first time I encountered her actual writing when she did Wolves. And then she did a few other independently published comics and published them as a, a small graphic novel, hardbound. And then obviously then she went to Punisher. This, she's really expanding on it. And I really think she made the right choice to do this because she... Obviously, he's a lover of heavy metal and Conan the Barbarian and everything violent and everything kick-ass. And uh, She took the art in this, and it wasn't snarky. The jokes were actually funny. Uh, not much happened until we get to the end scenes where she's sleeping, sleeping at night, and she's imagining a, a wedding that she was uh, the, the bride of, and almost like a Midnight Summer's Dream type um, scenario. Um, where these mythical beasts are part of the the wedding party, and her father is a wolf, and she's marrying a pig. But somehow this all correlates what's actually happening, and that's the most I got out of it. But it was satisfying. It wasn't a quick read, which made me happy, uh, even though it was only uh, God, I want to say maybe like twenty five pages. It it was something that you could read and enjoy each each panel, and I think that lends her skills as an artist where she was laying out what the artist should should draw which is why it reads so well and flows so well and, and it it obviously it, it wasn't a chore to figure out where my eye should go next but each time you get to a new panel uh she the details that she instructed the artist to put into it uh stood out so yeah the enjoyment factor was expanded i'm looking forward to what, where this goes I really hope that she's able to flesh this out because I always feel like that Becky always gets to a point where she's about to kick some ass and then some upper heads are like, uh, we don't understand what you're doing and you're going to have to finish it up, finish it up real quick. Mm. And that, that's the most I got on that. I'm not sure if you have anything to contribute to that because there wasn't much I could really say because this was a really good first issue introducing, uh, the, the characters were her and the guy she rescues are now, uh, just like in a Conan book, they encounter uh, some wayward travelers that need protection. And yeah. A nun and a super hot blonde that the dude that she saved is obviously hella in love with. And But the the dream sequences were reminded me of all my favorite Billy Tucci splash, splash pages where there's like eight panels in one, but there's no lines dividing it. But you have to you have to rely on the artist to direct you for how you're reading it. So it's definitely worth the money for this one. I just hope I just hope they're going to let her finish it up and have more faith in her to do more. Yeah, I mean, I just she's clearly she look, she's a, she's I think she's an A-lister. I think she's a serious oh, I do serious too. creative in the comics industry. I I'm kind of surprised that she hasn't been brought into, you know, the to the main show 
either of the two main shows, the SmackDown or the, uh, yeah. the Raw, necessarily. No, I, I get uh, it. Like, if she was a metal band in 1994 and you've got uh, Cold Chamber, you've got all the new metal bands, Limp Bizkit, Korn, all doing their thing, I would consider Becky Cloonan to be the Deftones of that group. Like, no one can touch her. The only reason you're even lumping her in, lumping her in with you guys is because y'all, y'all always do shows together, and she, her first demo kind of had the same chord progression. And, but she's going further and further. She's, the, she's definitely the Deftones of the, the entire group. 100% yeah. A-lister with longevity. God, she, she works so hard, and I'm proud of her. And I was so happy I met her. I have an original uh, piece of art she did literally just for me that I will be buried with. Mm. <laughs> that John Constantine drawing, man. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. She, she, she drew it and inked it right in front of me. We talked about metal for about 15 minutes. And, God, it was one of those things that that made the world to me because she was hungover. We, we already knew uh, that she was going to be hungover. From, she posted a photo doing a podcast and the, the bottle of Woodward Reserve someone bought for her. And um, she only showed up with no merch, literally no merch, not even a, a, a special Becky Cloonan banner she paid to like make it pop. And it was just the, this is Becky Cloonan spot that they, the, the Denver Comic-Con people put in front of her. She just had her pencils and her inks and a, and a bottle of water and a Gatorade. And uh, every person that came up to her, there was no one else on the planet than that person while she was doing a drawing for them. Just the, 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 the class actness of it was uh, off the charts because no other artist did that. Uh, I mean, like, but she also had the luxury, luxury of doing that because, like, you can't be uh, Junior Junior because uh, there's nine people talking to you at once. Oh yeah, but it was it was it was a special moment, and I'll never forget it. And I really thank you, Becky, and I hope you're listening. But uh, let's move on. What do you got next? Um, I'm gonna hit up with this Yusagi Yusagi Yojimbo. Um, I haven't read any Yusagi Yojimbo since I was ten. When I I don't know when I became a Ninja Turtles fan. We were talking about that when we did our Ninja Turtles movie review. Or movie commentary the other night. And uh, I think he was the first Ninja Turtle figure I got. And um, I was always kind of bewildered. Like, he didn't have the uniform. Or, like, his costume wasn't the, the way it was in the show. In the one episode he was in or whatever. But, anyway, so... Yeah, I used to have a handful of Usagi comics, and I don't know where they are. They've got to be lumped in with my stuff. It was only a handful, but then I did start trying to buy the um, the collected works, and I met Stan Sakai, who uh, or Sakai as it is, uh, who is the creator and artist and writer. Um, of Yusagi Ujimbo at, I'm going to say it was probably at San Diego or it could have been a Wizard World LA way back, but um, I had him sign something and I gave it to my brother and I have no idea if he's ever written, read it or cared. I'll have to ask him about it. I'm supposed to have dinner with him soon. Uh, so this is a new IDW book, Yusagi Ujimbo, writer, artist, letterer, Stan Sakai, Colorist Tom Luth and editor Bobby Kernow. This is in color. Most 
Usagi material has been in black and white uh, over all these years. And, um, I mean, this is a number one. It's a few months old. Actually, this one, let's see. November, no, that's 239 in a series, sorry. Uh, what? Yeah, this is 2019, June. So there is an ongoing book of this. I'm not going to say that this is a launch-off point. When we've been talking about Picard lately, I've been complaining that it doesn't feel like anything's... Like, stuff is happening, but it's not like, hey, this was a pilot episode, and now we're moving on. This is this book feels the same, the same way. It's just like, hey, here's Usagi doing his stuff. This is who he is. This is the kind of person he is, and he's always dropped into these situations. You never have some enormous backstory on him. It's just... Sometimes he's told the story. More often than not, he's just doing his thing. He's in feudal Japan. He's a ronin. He's a masterless samurai. Uh, this book starts with, I'm going to say, a fox fighting a bunch of, like, I don't even know what kind of animals these are. Um, just awesome anthropomorphic figures. Yeah, they're all these kind of like zombified or possessed demon meerkats, or I don't even know what they are. <clears throat> um, he, this guy goes after all of these creatures, <clears throat> then kind of fights their big baddie, which is a fire-breathing pseudo-rhinoceros or something. I mean, are they real animals? I just can't tell. But none of that really makes any difference. It's always about the story. It's just the mere fact that they happen to be anthropomorphic animals. And so uh, this character named Sasuke is told by a, a jinn, I'm going to guess, or a genie that appears out of nowhere. It is like kind of the Obi-Wan Kenobi or the Jaga of the story. Uh, his name is Lord Shoki. And it's the spirit of him. He's like, hey, you have to go to this place and you have to deal with this situation. Well, the story changes to another character who is kind of a cat. Uh, and there's a sword fight between a guy that wants to um, marry this girl who is clearly very pretty and whatever. And she has to become the Lord. You realize very quickly, oh, this is the puppet show. And Usagi is in the audience and this puppet show is about kind of some horrors that have taken place around there. So Yusagi's watching this thing and he really wants to uh, uh, watch the rest of the performance. But this is a very particular type of Japanese puppet play that can take all day. Ooh. And it's an enormous story. And apparently this is a thing that would happen. This is a real form of entertainment. Um, and um, so the guy who is the master puppeteer is uh is a blind dog i think and yusagi gets to have like a little sit down and have tea with the guy and um there's it's not like there's any like real revelation here it's just kind of like hey here are characters here's situations and here's little moments well Usagi encounters Sasuke from the beginning. Okay. And they start having a discussion about there being some kind of trouble nearby. And it's interesting because it's not 
terrestrial in origin. It's not like he just found out about it from a wandering troop like you were just talking about. Right. It's not like they just went to the inn and found out about it. No, he learned about it from a mystical apparition of, you know, this killed lord of some merit. And that's the thing, guys. I don't know if these characters are people who have persisted through hundreds of issues of Usagi stories. This is the first time I picked it up in years. But this is enough to go off of and be like, okay, here's a guy, here's another guy, and whatever. And I, I, you, you know Usagi is the protagonist, and you, you know the quality of his character. So, <clears throat> without spoiling the ending, I'm just going to say, like, there's clearly something messed up going on. And I think the puppets might be alive, and that's probably why they're so lifelike. And uh, maybe that's why uh, they're such a successful but small troop. And there's really no explanations as to the reason behind anything. Because you just, if you're buying Usagi Yojimbo, you're buying it since time since time began, since it started being you know published decades ago, in the '80s. So, you know, you know you're going to pick this up, and you know you're going to get it. If you guys want to take a chance on this. I'm going to say two things. It's interesting seeing Usagi Yojimbo portrayed in color. And I think that has a lot to do with how... I don't want to speculate on something that might be unfortunate. It's not negative. But Stan Sakai is not, you know, a young whippersnapper. And the quality of this artwork is not the same as I recall from, you know, 1988 and 1990. But even then, then, like, reading Usagi Ujimbo is still the equivalent of reading Cerebus. Yeah, this is heavy-duty, like, massive, detailed, dense lore from a person who understands his culture in a way that you're never going to understand it. So if you like Japan... If you're a, a if you're a Japanophile or whatever they're actually called, you gotta check this out. It's totally worth it. If if you just like animal characters, it's worth it. You know, if you like samurai stories, if you like if you like traveling, if you like Dungeons and Dragons, this is your story right here. Like, get this. So what I'm saying is, like I said. I hope that there isn't some depreciation in the uh, penciling quality, and that's why, hey, let's make it color. Or maybe it's just that early Usagi was an inexpensive book to produce because it wasn't in color, and it was more important to get the story out there. And you could differentiate the characters a lot easier by having them be different types of animals. Because in this, at least in color, the, the lush concept of the of the costumes comes out and that's pretty rad because we never had that before now i'm not saying that it i don't know if it's been in color for decades and i just missed it but i mean i'm compelled to carry on reading it because you know this is like it's a high adventure story with a lot of personality and a lot of character i love that term that 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 brought home for me was high adventure yeah i mean it's so like I say, if you play D&D, this is your thing. It's about masterless swordsmen wandering around the countryside in a feudal society with occasional mystic stuff happening, solving crimes, putting families back together. It's the Incredible Hulk. It's the Fugitive. It's Quantum Leap. 
but in feudal, it's the it's almost the Highlander. Like, Ooh, that's that's juicy. But, yeah, I mean, if the Highlander had traveled from town to town, or if they made another Highlander series where an immortal guy just traveled from town to town, found a bad guy and took care of problems, you know, I mean, there's magic in that. That's a good. That's a. It's a solid concept. So that's all I got. I mean, hey, that's what I got to say. Good book. No, I just, book. I just, I just love it when you're that passionate that there's no way I could ever dare interrupt you. Like, just get, <laughs> yeah, just uh, hell yeah. Um, tell me about Captain America because I'm not sold on the end comics at all. Um, we did one um, last week. Uh, help I'm me out with how this. It, w- I'm seeing a pattern. What are they building of... to? Oh, nothing. I presume. Honestly, I mean, the pattern, the, the one we watched at Doctor Strange, sacrifice at the end, self-sacrifice to save the world, to create a new Sorcerer Supreme. Uh, Captain Marvel, self-sacrifice to save the world and let people live on the surface of the earth again. Captain America, self-sacrifice. This was an irritating book, okay? All right, Eric Larson is the writer and artist. Dodo Sanchez Amaro is the color artist. VC Joe Carmagno was the letterer. Uh, uh, sorry? Larson, okay. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like... Okay, Do, uh, Captain America is fighting what I could... It's a zombie book. Okay, this is a zombie story. Everybody in the world has been infected somehow by some kind of bug or an infection uh, created by the Red Skull to turn everybody into the world into a Red Skull. Oh. So all of these regular people are regular people, but they have, they're screaming, angry fascist red skulls you know they all have a red skull they all look the same captain america is the only guy he appears to be immune he's fighting and fighting and fighting and he's literally spouting off these you know these concepts and these uh points about freedom and liberty and stuff like that as long as there's a breath in my body there shall be freedom and i will fight to my last and all this stuff and i'm like this is the only guy in contemporary comics that you can actually take seriously saying something like that. Okay. But even then, the, like, like, what, what was the purpose of the book, though? Like, well, to, that's what I'm, I'm going to get to that. I mean, self-sacrifice, that's what it is. He uh, eventually goes underground and finds a group of survivors. Um, some of them are kids. They get run out. Uh they find uh, uh, some of them actually get turned into red skulls and he doesn't want to kill them he won't kill anybody they find a crashed helicarrier they search it for um, supplies and come up with Modoc. Modoc is in there controlling these things and so everybody just keeps trying to break Captain America's will except for the handful of civilians he's managed to rescue and is unfortunately incapable of doing a good enough job to save them. So the moment where everything changed for me 
because by this point I was really getting irritated with the story, is that Captain America realizes uh, that defeat is inevitable because he's the monster. In this world where everybody is the Red Skull, he's the monster. He's the freedom. He's the opposing will. He's the thing they all want to destroy and get rid of. And I was like, okay, that turns it on its head. That's cool. That's fascinating. Let's check this out some more. And he decides that they'll all live in peace. They'll all find a normal existence. They'll have a find a, find a new purpose and a new civilization to begin anew if he gives up and lets them destroy him. But then, of course, the little girl who he rescued uh, is like, why aren't you fighting? And so, no, he turns it all back on it. Just fight, fight, fighty fight. And then he realizes that the blood transfusion he gave to save one of the characters has made that guy immune to the virus also. And he immediately is just like, take all my blood then and save everybody. And he's like, that's not right. how it works. You're going to take, you're going to take it. So this, this quickly became the Pearl of Great Promise story. And uh, I don't know. Do you know? Do you know that that parable? I guess. In a way, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, without going into too much detail, because uh, <clears throat> this blew my ever-loving mind when I was like 13 at church camp, and someone told this story to me. You know, imagine you're a parent, and there's a your child has a, a special immuno situation going on in their blood that means that if if they donated all of their blood that we'd be able to replicate a cure for AIDS or something like that or cancer okay it suddenly becomes the question oh no I gotta I gotta give up my kid to save the world or whatever you know and I mean it's just like it's a horrible concept but it's a question would you do it it never takes into account the concept of free will of the kid. Do I want to do it? Or do you convince him to do it? Or what? You know? So uh, it's a whole thing. Cap, on the other hand, of course, is going to be like, no, take my blood. He ends up being an old man, constantly donating blood all the time, every day, so that they can immunize people against this thing and eventually retake the world. And that's kind of how it ends. Self-sacrifice. He doesn't have to die. They, you know, the world is a huge place with millions of people, billions of people on it. And apparently you can capture these red skulls. They aren't so zombified. So it's just this whole thing. And it's like, in the end, I got down to, because I can appreciate the sacrifice. And so my emotions were running a little bit like, this is ridiculous. And then... It turned around on me and I was like, okay, you know, it's a good yarn. I don't know if it's worth, you know, what we paid for it in the end. How much was it? Because it's, oh, let me find, let me flip it over. I mean, it's a three ninety nine book, you know, but it's, if it's we're a doing a rash of, yeah, I mean, if you're, if we're doing a rash of the ends again and we're trying to find the last, you know, everybody's story. To what, to what end are we doing that? Is it an effort to create a whole new Marvel U? Or is it a, an attempt to 
gear us towards this amazing cosmic event that we are speculating on or is it a 2020 thing or is it just a cash grab i don't know it seem, but seems at like this a point they're all the same self-sacrifice but even then like why do all these books about self-sacrifice and not have it building up to like some big summer thing i mean like it's close enough that they could possibly be building it to something like that but I, I I would hope so, but I think that they would have. Uh, I'm trying to write, find the right word, but uh, I can't come up with it right now. I think that they would have made a bigger deal about these in the Marvel previews, um, or something like that. You know, hey, you got to get this as a lead up to Doom saves the world slash call or null the the Venom King or whatever the Venom God comes out of nowhere and messes up space. You know, that kind of thing. You're right. I just, I feel like they could totally be leading up to something. But they're so inconsistent. Because the end for Captain America was a very, was a very specific to Captain America thing. The end for Captain Marvel was very specific to her. Doctor Strange, it was the same thing. Very specific to him. So, you know, I get it, but like. I guarantee right. one day when they decide to cancel Captain America, this is not the, uh, they're not going to just rewrite this and stick it on and tack it on as the end of it, you know? I agree. Yeah. Yeah, let me move on to the last book, uh, Daphne Burns. This is one of the uh, Joe Hill Presents Hill House comics. This is number two. And let me pull up the credits written by Laura Marks, art by Kelly Jones, colors by Michelle Madsen. Lettering by Rob Lee, covered by Piotr Jabtonski, very covered by Dan Quintana, uh, editor Chris Conroy. Um, imagine if someone loved Vertigo Comics enough to try to bring it back as hard as he could. And I think that's what's happening right now in the Joe Hill comic books right now. Daphne Byrne, she's being haunted by a ghost that she encountered during a seance with her mother in the first issue. And now she's encountering the type of things that would follow a haunted person or the same way that John Constantine in the movie when he's like a little kid on the bus and sees the the demons. Uh, Except this time, she's a little bit more in control. Mm -hmm. This is a great goth fantasy uh, her mother's an idiot, constantly going to a, a, a psychic, despite the fact that her daughter, she fails to notice that her daughter is actually legitimately being haunted. Now, rather than do what most people would do and freak out and try to ignore it, she does for a bit, but she she embraces it. And the ghost haunting her as she is, and, and I really don't want to spoil too much of this because this is one of those books where the 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 devils are in the details. Is that when she encounters these shitheads from school that are making fun of her being so queer looking, and because this is like you know nineteenth century, and um, that she missed school, and one of the mean girls come, approaches her, and the ghost that's haunting Daphne tells her that she can control it, and the girl's like, "No, you, you come hang out with us," and she's like, "Daphne's like, no, come here, I want to show you something." Come closer. And then out of her face comes a demon that just makes this girl shit her pants, run away screaming, and, you know, we've got that awesome redemptive moment where the bully is the bully's defeated and vanquished. And, uh, but it ends with, like, this weird mummified character that is 
in no way has been introduced yet is spooning her as a big spoon. As a do- as as a child, I mean, it's nothing sexual, but even then, it's one of those things like that's. It it like it, as if your your life size mummy doll, like in the. Did you ever see the movie May? That's what it really reminds me of. May. Uh. It was one of those. No, I was, know the one you're talking about. I, did, I have not seen it. Yeah, it's 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 in that it's in that vein, but that's there's not too much to say other than the fact that it was worth talking about for that little bit. Just it's it's worth the money on this one. Um, the artwork is decent. Um, it's a little disjointed. Like the like you ever seen like a television show and all of a sudden the the mouths don't match the words coming out of your speakers. For some oh, yeah, totally. for some reason I get that sense, and and I don't know why, um, but that's uh, like I don't know if I'm just looking too much into it or or someone drugged the water at my house. But even then, uh, I loved it. <laughs> I, I was I was trying to look up some comic book news to talk about, but there's no real rag sheets for comic book news. It's basically in four months this is gonna happen, and and you're like why. <laughs> like, yeah. We don't even know yet. Like, why are you even announcing this yet? Like, uh, you're, this is a spoiler that we that makes no sense to us yet. Um, but at the same time, uh, we're not seeing any news about someone getting blacklisted or me tooed and that sort of thing. But I just, oh, at least my my big worry is that people are going to stop buying actual physical comic books and. I mean, we shit on Diamond pretty hard last week. <laughs> and, um, but uh, I was talking to a, a friend of mine in the comic industry the other day and mentioned that, like, yeah, Diamond Folding isn't really the end. Which gave me a little bit of hope because, God, I don't want that to happen, man. Yeah. Diamond, uh... I mean, who else could possibly compete with the amount of volume that they've got to put out weekly, you know? Agreed. But you got anything to wrap this up, brother? Because I think we're finished. Those are all our books for this week. Those are all of our books. No, not necessarily. I mean, I'm suddenly suddenly wondering what other interesting tools I could (laughs) suggest for people. it's always good to have an iPhone. I mean, you got to take those measurements and you got to know when to cut. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you're doing anything with doors, you're going to want chisels. You're going to want to get a nice drill bit set. I'll tell you what I like very, very much. If you're going to get a screw gun, which a lot of people just call it a drill, um, you know, you get yourself an impact driver and it creates more torque when it uh, is forcing something in. So you can do a lot of screws without ever drilling pilot holes. Well, that's all right if you're just going into a 2x4 or you're just trying to mount 4x8 sheets of, I don't know, ply or masonite or I don't know what, just something up on the wall. But um, if you've got to drill pilot holes into something like fixing a cabinet or whatever, you're going to want those drill bits. And so what I like is I got an Irwin drill bit set for two reasons. The, the bits are fine. But they're mounted onto a, a uh, speed-locking hexagonal head. And then so you've always got this piece that's chucked into the front of your screw gun. So you can click those things in and pull them right out as fast as you can. And that's just that just saves so much time. I really, really love it. 
because there's nothing worse than having a screw gun that's going to you're going to be drilling your pilot hole and then it just like spits out the drill bit because it doesn't you can't tighten the chuck enough so i don't know i would definitely look for, look into those they're they're really badass what duct tape would you recommend because i love the all black uh, gorilla gorilla duct tape um i mean tape is a varying thing i've got a lot of different types of tape because of my work so we you know it's the film and theater thing i use a lot of gaff tape uh i really hate duct tape <clears throat> i don't use it for much of anything except to mark what i've got <clears throat> i mean if i've got other people coming over to collect gear because i might have to be doing a i might have to be in a meeting and i might have to have people come collect stuff i'll mark everything with some ridiculous colored duct tape and say go get the hot pink the boxes with the hot pink markers on them uh, we use a ton of blue paper tape for paint. It's painter's tape that you know you use for ed, uh, like protecting a, an edge or a corner or whatever. Right. Or glass. Uh, we use tons of that because it's only got a 14-day hold, really. So it's supposed to peel off super easily, and it generally does, and almost never takes up a veneer or uh, an outer surface. But I've seen people use it to tape down ram board on on uh vinyl fake hardwoods and stuff like that or on actual hardwoods and when they peel it up if they're not careful it'll pull the finish off or whatever right um and so you got to be careful with it but paper tape is good because you can like stick it on the wall and you can hang something with butyl which is a, a window it's it's used to keep glass panes in place until you can put the trim up and hold them in place um and then you're maybe not injuring the drywall or the paint or something, maybe. But then you're still sticking stuff to something that doesn't have the same quality of poundage. Uh, so, poundage. yeah, gaff tape. You can go to Guitar Center, you can probably get white gaff tape, but they're probably not going to have black gaff tape, or vice versa. So if you go to a Guitar Center and they've got both, way to go. <clears throat> also, just check with theater companies. Pro gaff is... I mean, like, that's the benchmark in gaff tape right there. It's a company that it's just... Gaff tape is a fabric tape. So it tears really easily, but it doesn't have that um, glossiness that duct tape has on the outside. And uh, people use it to, like, tape down cables and cords and stuff like that on stage. So, like, musicians and bands and performers, keep, you know, they, t they tape down their cables so they don't trip or you know accidentally yank something out of a guitar or whatever yes yeah. messing up a connection um and uh i mean god i yeah i have i have i have a lanyard with about like 18 different rolls of gaff tape paper tape you know like i talked about the paper tape it's called photo black and it's just it's black paper tape and when you're filming something and you want something in a dark room to just disappear and you cover it with black paper tape, it just goes away. You just can't see it in the monitor for whatever reason. Unless it's got too much uh, topography, I guess. <laughs> gotcha. So, yeah. Anyway, we're talking about tape now. And that's yeah. Silly, but let's go to, have it. Let's I mean, go to bed, brother. I'm tired. Yeah. All right. Let's go to bed, Joshua. All you minefielders, I hope you listen to this and... 
heard about some books that you needed to pick up, and hopefully they're still on the shelves for you, because we certainly appreciate all your um, thousands of downloads. It's been great, and uh, thanks again. Just give us a give us a hoot at uh, Colin and Josh at MinefieldsComicsPodcast.com <laughs> if you want to hear anything or you want to hate on us or anything like that. And obviously follow us on uh, Twitter. Um, it's like Minefields. Minefields Poe. <laughs> it got cut off when I made it for some reason, so I just kept it because it looked ridiculous. Uh, and then uh, Mind, Minefields Comic Podcast on uh, Instagram and Facebook, too. There you go. There you go. We'll see you out there, everybody. We'll Take see, it easy. We'll this see out there. transmission is over. Over and out. This is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs>